thank you for for your interest in both William and in hearing me talk a little bit about him. Uh, I myself was born in South Africa, came to uh, North America, to Canada in 1970, went to school, studied literature, ended up working in the criminal justice system, uh, worked across the country in prisons and parole for many, many years, and then during um, the um, the decade before I met William, I became involved in Aboriginal justice. I was organizing many conferences with elders across Canada to advance uh, better relations between Native people and representatives from the justice system. And then one of my conferences, I uh, asked Grandfather Commander to help support our effort. And so, yeah, I met him on the 11th of April in 1997. Uh, I guess I must have organized a, um, a good conference because then he invited me to this gathering that he hosted at his home in Manawaki. Uh, at first, I was, you know, I mean, at this stage, I was a bureaucrat of, you know, 15 to 18 years, and... Um, I was rather scared of going to a gathering of a bunch of strange people. <laughs> and so initially I was a little bit uh, uh, reluctant to, to, to head into the spiritual experience. And when I said, oh, well, you know, I'm not really sure if I can go, he, his initial response was, it was like a $64 question why I'd go. But a week before his gathering, he invited me again. And I was still hedging, but he said, Anyone can learn, you know. So I uh, rented a station wagon, put my uh, foam headboard into it, bought granola bars, and went camping. And and I say, um, grandfather uh, ensured that I didn't go and park in the far back parking lot, you know, miles away. And I ended up being at his home. And then I, uh, over the course of this three-day spiritual gathering with the people camping on his his uh, property, people from all over the world, I began to realize just how much more than justice this uh, man was uh, attempting to do. Um, so gradually then over the next uh, uh, few months, I began to understand better his work with respect to uh, the constant prayer for Mother Earth, um, for promoting racial harmony. And um, and then, um, I, okay, I actually at this stage um, was, I still do, live in Ottawa, the capital city, but uh, his home was an hour and a half away from the capital. As he had worked in the city, I ended up driving him around, and I gradually began to understand much better the the um, the strong indigenous spirit and the strong spiritual um, um, prominence of this 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 very very uh, unusual uh, elder. As I say, at this stage, I had already been working with, you know, Native elders across the country for for quite a few years, so I knew many of them, respected many of them, cared very much for many of them, and learned so much. But uh, William Commander was just quite a bit different. And um, 
Um, after a couple of years of driving him around, partly I was able to do that because I took a leave of, uh, uh, I went on secondment from uh, justice to do some restorative justice work. During that time, I was able to drive him around more and uh, take him to some of his meetings and get a better sense of uh, his priorities. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I'd uh, take early retirement and look to, to, to supporting some of his work. Initially, I didn't see how I could uh, afford to do that, but... Uh, you know, at a, a particular point, I kind of thought it through again, and then that's what I did. I took early retirement uh, from the federal government, um, and uh, and that was it. I became very intimately involved in every aspect of his life. I supported uh, uh, his work, and um, I think at this stage... Um, he was uh, quite determined to imprint everything that that uh, every memory, every thought that was of importance to him, in my mind, so that that um, I would understand and help to articulate his work. And so that process, uh, I find, is still ongoing. <laughs> so that's sort of like you know a little background to how I became involved with uh, William Commander's work. William Commander was actually born on the 11th of November, 1913. And um, the morning star was shining uh, when, mm, when he made his first cry, he says. So his mother called him Ojigwanong. Um, he knew that time so precisely because the railway had just started moving into his community, to Manawaki. And so as the train tooted its horn, so did William make his first cry. And it's kind of a sweet memory because, you know, um, we celebrated his birthday. He died at the age of 98. And, um, and uh, if uh, he happened to be awake earlier, he wasn't ready quite to be greeted for his birthday at 7 o'clock. He was always waiting for the 8 o'clock <laughs> moment. Um, I say um, uh, it's uh, a particularly meaningful moment, that 11th of November, 1913, when he was born, because it ends up being the eve of the First World War. And so um, as his life evolved, and as I look back on his life, I see he was uh, really a very bright light in a world that was getting increasingly dark, and um, uh, as 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 his uh, life passed on, I think he sort of uh, um, shone a very very bright torch for peace in 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 a century of tremendous change in the life of his people and really all of us globally. Um, he. Um, is the Nalgonquin of the Ottawa River watershed. He described himself as Mamiwinini, nomad. And for him, that idea of nomad meant that his people moved every day. They walked every day. They canoed every day. Uh, the, the heritage of the uh, uh, Algonquin people is very much rooted in the birch bark canoe. 
and they created uh, uh, this canoe and navigated the waterways of North America um, from really time immemorial. William's uh, uncle was a canoe maker of of renown. Um, all Algonquins created canoes, and many of them uh, were like practical uh, vessels for movement. But um, his uncle was an artist, so he taught the young child, William, how to craft canoes um, in a very special way. This included uh, securing the winter bark, uh, the winter birch bark, and the winter bark can be etched upon. So William uh, uh, Commander's canoes have um, imprints, uh, sketches, or uh, really etchings of um, of symbols of the natural world that were important to him. This includes stars, um, moose, wolves, animal world uh, representation. Uh, I should explain that a little better. He created pencils, and then you you scrape out the design, and uh, and so you have a lighter bark and a redder bark, and and this is how you see these these images. So he um, uh, became. Uh, an, uh, a canoe maker of great renown. Uh, during his uh, childhood, making just the little canoes, selling them to tourists, gave him a great sense of independence. And uh, in his later years, he taught his grandchildren uh, canoe making, teaching them kind of like a, a both uh, an art and craft and spiritual connection with the um, the elements of the earth, as well as providing them with uh, an opportunity for um, uh, security. He, uh, when he was in his 80s, actually went to Denmark and built a birch bark canoe for Queen Margarita. And in another interesting way for me, it's, it's the completion of a certain cycle within the rhythm of his life. Um, he was very conscious of the presence of the Vikings in North America, and, uh, and of course, not all those memories were good ones um, in the history of his people. So when he eventually met Queen Margarita, he um, had an opportunity to talk to her for a, uh, for a couple of hours, and he said, you know, she held my hand with no gloves. He, he, he was pointing out to the uh, the relationship building that was eventually happening with the first occupiers of North America. Um, uh, his canoes are at the Canadian uh, Canoe Museum, and uh, so, yeah, he, that was one huge uh, and special part of his heritage. Um, it is also an important heritage in terms of the journey of life. And, and so the symbolic significance of that and, and, uh, and how it guided him through his life uh, is really, really very interesting. He, um, quite a few years after I met him, decided one day that he was going to get me a kayak. And it was really um, 
uh, interesting learning experience for me. At this point, we were uh, supposed to be doing some research to protest the establishment of a mega dump near a lake. And I, as I said earlier, came from the criminal justice system and didn't really know all that much about the environment. So I felt like I needed to study mega dumps so that we could know how to uh, voice our concerns properly. Well, William uh, uh, decided that that was the day we were going to get me a kayak. And so I kind of sort of decided in the end that I would humor him, take him out for a little jaunt around town. Uh, I ended up with this kayak, which we took to his home in in, uh, Manawaki, and um, put it in the lake. So now I'm wondering what what I was supposed to do and waiting for some instructions. Uh, he was busy, not paying too much of attention to me, so I decided that I would just get into the kayak because I figured it couldn't be that difficult. Well, I put one foot in and discovered just how difficult that could be because the kayak flipped, um, dumped me into what I um, considered this froggy water uh, that I had sort of like not put a toe into over all those years I'd visited his, his uh, lake. And uh, there you go, I was immersed in, 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 in the lake. So I went off kayaking, and over the course of the summer, I found that I just couldn't get keep away from the water. I'd worry about all these um, projects that we were working on, all the, 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 the technical work I needed to do, to, to understand what we were supposed to do, but I'd want to escape all the time into the lake and kayak. And in that process, I learned so much about nature. I learned so much about the beaver. I learned so much about balance, about energy. Um, I would come back and report to William intriguing things like uh, when I thought my kayak would go in this direction, it would move in its own direction, and all of a sudden I'd see seven loons, um, and he'd tell me about energy and you know trusting the 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 the, the energy of the of the world of nature anyway the, the the intriguing thing to me was by the end of that summer, I felt I had grown so much more clever than I'd been before. I felt like my my mind had been uh, exfoliated by nature, and uh, it was something that he knew I needed to experience, though he never really explained it to me in that kind of way. So the journey motif was um, was embedded in his uh, canoe heritage, and it became also very much a part of our own life. Uh, we drove um, through much of the American Northeast. We drove uh, around the Great Lakes, um, and... Um, and one intriguing uh, experience was when we went um, to Minnesota. We we ended up going to Pipestone, um, and it was the last day of the annual um, sun dance that uh, the uh, American Indian Movement people um, held at, at Pipestone. We arrived there on the fourth day of the, the dance uh, at the, uh, in the afternoon, really late, around four. 
And it was really intriguing because as we arrived, the eagle arrived. And it, uh, the, the leader there, um, uh, who knew William, Clyde Belcourt, said, wow, we've been waiting for a sign from the Creator for eight days, the four days of preparation and the four days of the dancing. And, and he said to the younger people there, and our Creator has sent us a sign, here is our leader from the East. And what uh, he was uh, alluding to was not just the fact that uh, uh, William's uh, significance as a spiritual leader was being recognized. He was also a very independent political leader. Um, So during the 1940s, uh, round about the time when the United Nations was first established, he um, worked very closely with an indigenous um, activist, Josiwi, and they worked hard to create the North American Indian Nations government. At, at, at that stage, um, the oppression of indigenous peoples, both in Canada and the, the United States, was was considerable. Uh, and uh, uh, these two and other native leaders gathered together to to um, raise awareness of the presence, the need, the voice, the aspirations, gathered together indigenous peoples to assert their their rights to their lands and their their uh, their resources. Um, and uh, that effort at uh, political independence uh, continued for, oh gosh, mm, well, all of William's life, I would say, but very formally till the uh, 70s. He was uh, chief at his own community for, for over 19 years, almost 20 years, uh, but always chief by acclamation. He was an old-style chief. If the communities wanted him to serve them, then he served them. But he never really um, ran for any chiefs and think, uh, for any leadership roles. So that made him uh, a little bit uh, different than, than, than other indigenous leaders. Also, he became uh, the uh, supreme chief of the North American Indian Nations government, and uh, so through that process affirmed his connection with both Canada and the U.S. He considered both, uh, both countries really his turtle island, his homeland, and so his uh, relationship with, with both sides of the border were, was uh, seamless. In fact, in 1995, he served as elder for the Sunbow Five Walk for Mother Earth, a walk with indigenous and non-indigenous people, commencing at First Encounter Beach uh, in Boston, and over a seven-and-a-half-month period, people walked to Santa Barbara, California, to raise awareness about um, environmental issues and indigenous uh, uh, issues. William served as spiritual guide for that uh, that walk, and uh, yeah, so it was really interesting that it was Nelda from Canada who actually um, um, trekked across uh, uh, the United States. 
in this process, he offered prayer and ceremony at uh, at multiple uh, interesting uh, places, including um, at um, at the site where Martin Luther King was uh, was shot, and that makes me uh, um, remember to tell you then that William worked very hard to promote racial harmony. Um, he uh, just recently we acknowledged uh, um, Martin Luther King Day here in Canada, and a few years ago, uh, an organization presented him with the Martin Luther King Dreamkeeper Award. But they didn't realize that many years earlier, during the Sunbow Five Walk, William had done a pipe ceremony in Memphis. Um, uh, sort of praying for that uh, that activist. Uh, in 2000, he hosted an international peace gathering in the capital city of Canada and had representatives from the Rosa Parks Institute uh, participate. Along the way, he um, became a, a recipient of a Wolf Award um, the Wolf Project being one that honored people who um, who advanced racial harmony. Um, William actually uh, was presented with the uh, uh, Aurora Borealis North Star Wolf. Nelson Mandela was presented with the Southern Star. Uh, another recipient of the the Wolf Award was Chief Arvel Looking Horse. Um, and um, in along the, the, the sort of um, streams of honors that, that William received in terms of his peace-building work um, um, were things like the Harmony Award, etc. In 19, maybe 98, we hosted uh, a gathering of the indigenous prophecy holders. Okay, so another huge and critically important part of William's story is, um, oh gosh, forgiveness and the sacred wampum belt. Okay, uh, le- let me start off by by uh, by saying William became very ill when he was in his late forties ended up having cancer, and uh, uh, was really pretty well on his deathbed. Uh, You know, came down to maybe 98 pounds. And and then, uh, when he was in so much of pain one one evening, one morning really, he, he recalls waking up on the Chesterfield, hearing a bird singing at his window. He said the bird sang so piercingly, so beautifully, his uh, tears started to fall. He couldn't stop crying. And he realized he knew it was not a bird. It was not just a bird. It was uh, uh, um, his connection with his creator. And he said to him, I am in so much of pain. Take me now, right now, unless there's something you want me to do. And I guess at this point, okay, just at this pre, uh, this period of his life, 
Um, he was um, working hard for his community, working hard to, to rally together the indigenous. He was, uh, you know, he was a kindergarten dropout. Uh, I wrote a book about him, and I called him a kindergarten dropout. But in fact, William was self-taught. He had a huge library of books where he, you know, made notes about every part of the history of the uh, Americans of the uh, uh, of um, Turtle Island. He was also like a kind of person who watched the news three or four times a day, so he was very immersed in global news. Anyway, he was he was well attuned to the oppression, the, the near genocide of his own people. And um, and the frustration of all the efforts to find their rightful place uh, amongst all the colonizing influences. Anyway, all of these factors I think contributed to this illness. But at this point, then he made this uh, commitment to his creator to serve in some different fashion, and um, and uh, he then underwent uh, a period of of healing. His his wife. Uh, and another medicine woman um, prepared uh, native medicines, plant medicines for him. He had the support of a uh, um, um, Belgian naturopath. And um, another intriguing part of his, his healing journey was this process of self-determination. He was chief of his community, and the uh, the police brought representatives from Scotland Yard to come and visit him. And he showed them his um, craft-making shop, because as I said earlier, he was a canoe maker. He made snowshoes. He did other things besides uh, doing his job as as um, as a veneer log uh, 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 selector for, uh, at one stage, warehouser, and uh, and other than doing his job as chief of the community, he did his craft. So he showed them his, uh, his uh, uh, workshop, and they asked who this, uh, um, this pair of snowshoes was being created for. And he said it was for him, and they kind of shook their heads because they saw a dying man in front of them. You know, he was so thin. But really, uh, I realized later that that, that uh, focus on, on the next stage in his journey is what also contributed to his health. But it was this huge commitment to his creator, and that commitment was around creating peace. So uh, uh, his wife said, I mean, after, after this, this um, period, what's happened to you? You're not fighting about everything anymore. You've just become quite a different person. Yes, he had launched into his his uh, active peace building mode. So then he began to gather indigenous peoples together, the, the the native people from both Canada and the U.S. He started off with um, with gatherings, um, and Mac, I think we talked about um, uh, the 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 nineteen sixty nine gathering he hosted in his at his home in in Manawaki when uh, Mad Bay Anderson joined him there. But he'd already hosted another gathering uh, uh, in Eganville in 1967. And so that began the process of the, the peace-building outreach to, to indigenous peoples. And then over the years, it became things like the Sunbow Five Walk. Um, and during the last uh, um, 
15, 20 years of his life, he held gatherings at his home in Manawaki with, with huge consistency. So all of this was his huge effort to raise awareness about uh, environmental issues, the crises that he saw looming, uh, to, to uh, create racial harmony and peace building. So yes, indeed, peace was very much a part of his, uh, his effort. Uh, but what I meant to say was, at this time of this illness, he learned the importance of forgiveness. And and so he would tell people, you know, uh, you have to learn, we have to learn how to forgive ourselves. And when we're able to forgive ourselves for our own shortcomings, for the things we may not have done as well as we ought to have, then we'll find the capacity to forgive others. And... Um, and so that became very much a part of his, his teachings, the spiritually inspired teaching. Okay, so so then we moved to um, organizing this. Uh, uh, oh, uh, 10 years after that, he became um, the holder of the sacred wampum bells. These are um, artifacts of uh, historical, spiritual, uh, record-making importance. And... Um, <clears throat> And uh, that is a huge story um, unto itself. But uh, but the one of the of the wampum belts was the Seven Fire Prophecy wampum belt, and many people considered that William was the prophecy carrier during the time of the Seven Fire Prophecy, the unfolding of the prophecy. He was also the carrier of a three figure wampum belt, where he says the Indian in the center welcomed the newcomers, these being the French and the English in the old days, to his country, um, agreeing to share the grand natural resources in equitable portions, and uh, uh, with the commitment that the values of the indigenous would guide the uh, evolving uh, nations. At this stage, uh, his people were talking on behalf of the entire continent of North America, America, uh, remembering, of course, that these are the people of the East, the first uh, people that the newcomers would have would have met in the 1700s. And uh, and his his statement was that because his ancestors had welcomed the, the the newcomers, he was committed to continue that that welcome. And so his outreach of peace was to all peoples who were now occupying. Um, uh, Turtle Island, his homeland, and he always sought to see the values of the indigenous center in the evolution of this country, the countries, even though he never really saw that manifest during his lifetime. And he still affirmed that value, and for him, the two critical values were respect for Mother Earth, respect for indigenous wisdom, and uh, um, um, peace uh, respecting that we're all connected, that we're all related. So his prayer, constant prayer, was use of this word, Gina Widaganuk, we're all connected. And, and um, it was his um, message that he continued to affirm till he, till, you know, he, he moved on. Well, uh, in, the, in that um, 98 period, uh, William and the Wolf Project organized a, a, a gathering of 
the indigenous prophecy keepers. And so we invited uh, our looking horse, who was then the carrier of the white buffalo cowfoman's pipe, as well as, and now I finally come to it, Martin Gashwasioma, the Hopi elder, the late Martin. Um, now, William uh, had known him for many years. William had actually uh, gone and visited uh, uh, Martin in Hota Villa. Uh, and I'm just remembering a story I'll tell you. You know, uh, Martin was planting corn uh, in his fields, and uh, it was very hot. It was dry. Uh, William was with him. He'd take his stick. He'd make a hole in, in the ground and put in a, a, a kernel of corn in and, you know, put in his, uh, his medicine and, and say prayer. And it was hot, and, and William offered to help him. But Martin says, no, this is something I have to do myself. And I think that's a critically important message, uh, and it was very much also the way William Commander lived his life. He did everything himself. You know, if it was time to roll up the hoses because it was um, summer was over and uh, you know winter was coming, he went out and did that. He 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 um, he worked uh, really. I would say from from the time he was seven or eight when he was polishing shoes and uh, and uh, you know uh, doing doing chores as a little child till the actual day he died. And he died at the age of 98 on the eve of his gathering. He continued to work throughout his life in, in this kind of uh, um, way where he put his hands to everything. I mean, it's, 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 it's incredible to reflect on it, just how hard he worked. Now, to go back to the, 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 the idea of the purification that uh, uh, connection with uh, with Martin, that uh, uh, a link with the tablets that the Hopi elder, you know, uh, was responsible for, were all part of of his uh, his teachings. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I think I you're right. I probably need to understand better the idea of the purification, but. Uh, William probably would have much more strongly than I. And actually, I want to tell you something else, then, since you're, you're you know, so interested in the, 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 well, since your show is a prophecy carrier. I don't know if you uh, uh, heard of or are familiar with uh, Navajo elder, uh, Grandfather Martin Martinez. Mm, I'm not. I'm not. No, me neither. Okay, he's from uh, like the the the, the four mountains uh, portion of uh, Arizona, and um, uh, we met him there in Santa Fe some some years ago. He was uh, a, a, a spiritual leader, much like uh, uh, Martin Gashwasioma and Grandfather Commander, and I recall that he um, created and presented Grandfather Commander with uh, a sacred cane. That is a special story unto itself. But what was so interesting was 
the the ceremonial way he sang his songs in passing this uh, the sacred item over you know um so in 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 that energy too was the 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 uh, hope and the prayer of the indigenous uh, um, um, faith holders, spirit holders, for some shift in in yes, the energetic uh, reality of 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 the world as as uh, we've come to know it. And of course, peace was then very much the mission for William Commander. Um, which then leads me to his kind of ongoing work. Okay, so you mentioned water, and uh, indeed you are right, water featured, uh, um, well, of course, all the four elements um, were critically important and a critical part of William's uh, teachings, but uh, the water especially, um, because, of course, uh, his canoe heritage the fact that he was uh, Algonquin of the Ottawa River watershed, the fact that the rivers and the lakes were the highways of his people, the fact that they they are the people of the eastern seaboard, and uh, and uh, um, the ancestral energies from thousands of years ago would have linked with the um, with the maritime culture, the maritime navigators of was the post-Wisconsin uh, Ice Age. So anyway, water features in a big way, and we, um, we, ho- we organized gatherings focused on water during his annual Circle of All Nations gatherings, uh, one in 2004. In 2006, we um, hosted a gathering uh, in the city of Ottawa to wake up the, the, the city to the absolute uh, pollution of the waters um, right right here. But uh, in this process, uh, William worked to uh, um, uh, protest damming at the sacred Chaudhya Falls. So now that brings me to another huge part of his story. Okay. Um, in the heart of the, the, the uh, territory of the Algonquins, right here in, in the capital city, uh, we have the Ottawa River. Oh, and that's a special story unto itself because the Ottawa River is, uh, um, I think, maybe about this, used to be about the second wildest river in North America because it had so many rapids. Um, and uh, it traverses um, rocks that were uh, created during four different uh, periods in the Earth's uh, uh, creation. So it has, um, in the course of its pathway, rocks representative of each of these special periods in this Earth-building process. So it's very special. But as the river flows from the west to the east, uh, uh, at the capital city we have a circular waterfall, the Shaudia Falls, uh, a kick tick is what William called it, uh, a, a bucket-shaped uh, rapid. And uh, it's intriguing what you said earlier about um, the, the counterclockwise spin uh, of uh, the 
Morningstar? Well, actually, it, it's it's going clockwise. It was, it was We're a, all, the rest of them are going counterclockwise. Well, it right. depends on your perception, which way you look right, at right. it. <laughs> no, but you're right. But I meant, like you meant, it was different from the way the, the, the rest of it was spinning. And in right. a kind of intriguing way, the, the, the water spins at this uh, sacred Chaudhya site. There are, there are some islands um, uh, alongside of it, and, and from historical times, it's acknowledged to be uh, a meeting place, a spiritual meeting place of indigenous people. Spiritual because um, when, uh, when they were first observed there, they were um, doing a tobacco ceremony. But uh, uh, archaeological uh, uh, explorations have indicated that people were here 6,000 years ago, people were here uh, 2,500 years ago, people were here 500 years ago. So it shows a consistent pattern of uh, presence. Uh, and in the, 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 the tools that are found, it uh, shows, for one thing, that they were, in fact, uh, nomads for thousands of years because there was copper from, like, Lake Superior uh, here in, in the Ottawa site. And it also uh, shows sort of like the focus on the the, the tool making, the creative tool making, and of course that uh, lines up with the petroglyph and pictograph heritage of of the people in this this part of the country. Well, all over, of course, North America, but you know, I'm thinking here. Anyway, um, Grandfather Commander. <clears throat> Uh, whose ancestors I trace really to this particular spot, envisioned a healing and peace-building center at this place. Um, uh, an indigenous center drawing together the, 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 the native people from across the country so that the people will heal, reconcile their differences, and become uh, the strong people that... Uh, uh, um, would uh, serve as the center of that three-figure wampum belt, um, but uh, also people who would open up their arms in friendship to all the newcomers like their ancestors did, like Grandfather Commander did. And so in that sense, this sacred site at the Circular Waterfalls would also then be uh, a peace-building center. Um, sort of a counterbalance to the endless wars that uh, that uh, um, he saw uh, from really the moment of his birth, and that he saw only escalating after after nine eleven. Um, uh, he also envisioned um, uh, an eco think tank, so that the best thinking in terms of environmental issues would be. Explored there by 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 thinking people, and uh, in his time, you know, grandfather objected to things like the uranium mining, like the damming, like the mega dumps, uh, uh, the kind of uh, exploitation of the dolphins uh, and and whales. Um, he was passionate about the the the, the endless tree cutting. Uh, when he was involved in that in, uh, uh, early lumber business, he was trying very much to 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 inculcate the values of select uh, you know use of trees. 
and not envisaging the 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 kind of devastation that would hap that had really actually already happened but was continued to happen with the um the trees throughout the continent uh he say you know as we drove to his home in Manawaki all the time and we watched all the the logging trucks up and down his uh, his uh, territory say it feels like a, a a needle piercing my eye every time i see these uh, logging trucks uh, go by and of course now we realize just how uh, devastated uh, our, our global world is because of uh, uh these kinds of things uh anyway all that to say uh here at this uh, uh, sacred shaudia falls Ottawa being i think the only capital city that has a circular waterfall we want we are hoping uh, to see the manifestation of the william commander vision the area was highly industrialized and developed uh, um, contributing i think to the sort of the development of the country in the 1800s and 1900s but uh he um envisioned the public space uh sort of a central park new york you know a, a return to nature and the dammed uh, uh shardia falls undammed to the extent possible uh unfortunately uh that vision has not yet materialized and right now we're uh facing um uh, uh a lot of uh uh difficulty because there are development interests uh, uh in this area um so we're challenging plans to 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 put up condominium and and uh, sort of the european malls in what uh native and non-native people would like to see as the indigenous uh, healing and peace building center uh uh um with reconciliation amongst indigenous peoples all others and reconciliation with sort of mother earth and the waters as taking its rightful place in the capital city so so he, yeah so william is very much uh, uh engaged in the water energy and the peace energy and the forgiveness energy and uh, uh shining a light to something else wow and, uh, you have a phenomenal memory ma'am <laughs> well, uh, uh, as I say, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I've been colonized, I've been well indoctrinated by by William, and of course, I've worked on 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 many of these things because I've um, I've I, I, I had the huge fortune, I guess, to get to understand it so so well, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and and i mean the william commander story is is endless and uh, even as i'm uh, i'm uh, looking to the 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 challenge i'm exploring the land ownership issues uh, at this area you know because we consider that uh, this area here is unceded unsurrendered uh, and unconquered algonquin territory even as i'm i'm looking at archival material So I put my hands to a file like you know right here at home and I I find messages handwritten by William Commander messages uh uh, uh talking about the 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 1940s the uh the visits to the United Nations the 
the raising of awareness about indigenous issues from that time period. Um, I, I recall, you know, him talking about uh, the transitions in 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 leadership. Um, I think, you know, from from a period when Native people were totally ignored to when their independent voice was uh, appropriated and, you know, sort of uh, made uh, subject to to the larger kind of control interests. So, yeah, so even even as much as I know, I lay my hand on a book and I'm I'm learning more. Uh, and it, books annotated by William, notes written by him. So yeah, his uh, his reach was tremendous. Well, we're we're so grateful that you're 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 walking in his footsteps, and and uh, um, I, I know you you know I I know you're making some waves of your own here in this life, and uh, uh, much appreciated. And um, uh, I did want to. I don't know whether uh, Mac Boogaloo told you how Prophecy Keepers got started, but um, back in 1985, uh, see, I knew I knew who Mad Bear was because Rolling Thunder was a friend of mine, and uh, I, I never saw a picture of Mad Bear until 1996. But in, in 1985, um, uh, a man appeared to me in a dream. Um, and he had a white stone around his neck. It was a translucent white stone, and there was a key embedded in the stone. And his name was written in the stone, but I wasn't allowed to remember the name. And okay. uh, we were just sitting uh, a, a, from a low, a long, low table. Uh, and uh, he had a, a round face, pockmarked skin, and he just said to me, "When are you going to do something?" About and then he mentioned uh, the man that I knew was my Cherokee seventh great grandfather. He said, "When are you going to do something about Gardner Green's genealogy?" And that was it. And I had been given my my Cherokee genealogy when I was sixteen, and okay. at, at that that time I had just passed thirty. Well, fast forward to nineteen ninety six. After my uh, first wife passed away. Uh, there was a little life insurance money, and I bought a computer, got on the Internet. And um, uh, I had been, at that time, uh, and for many years I'd been collecting prophecies and put them together in a 32-page newsletter. I just gave it out to people. I said, here, uh, you know, copy it, uh, give it out to people, whatever. Within six months, uh, I was getting letters from Australia and uh, at different places saying, hey, we'd like to see some more. So I learned how to build websites and got on the Internet, and and I've done a lot of things since then. But um, um, along the way, somewhere I, I – it, it, right about the time I got on the Internet, I was living in Moab, Utah, and I went into a bookstore, and I finally was able to uh, to get a copy of the book Mad Bear. And I had a, I'd had the Doug Boyd's book Rolling Thunder for quite some time. And then I, um, I saw Mad Bear's picture. I said, "Oh my gosh, that's him!" And then I opened it up and found out, you know, when he died in '85, and okay. uh, uh, shortly after he walked west is, is when I saw him. And Marcin, a lady named Marcin Quenzer, uh, an okay. artist, uh, he visited her after he walked west and asked her to uh, do a series of paintings. Um, 
that had to do with uh, uh, the wampums and the great law and so forth. And uh, you can kind of read about that at whiterootsofpeace.com. You can see whiterootsofpeace.com. You can read uh, Marcin's, uh, you can see the artwork. and, and uh, But it's, yeah, these elders, uh, <laughs> you know, wow. shortly, yeah, shortly after my Cherokee uh, elder friend, uh, John Red Hat passed away. I had a dream where um, I was driving a semi in near the area where he lived in Colorado, and I was going to make a delivery uh, up a mountain. And I started, uh, you know, if you're going to take a truck, you don't back it up a mountain. Well, <laughs> um, I, I, I I started to do that, and all of a sudden he appeared and threw open the door and says, "Move over." He says, "I'm backing you up." <laughs> so, so anyway, th- these elders—they're boy—they're around and they're more powerful now than uh, they ever thought of being uh, in uh, mortality. But uh, we're, we're almost out of time. And if you oh, if you okay. have a, any websites or contact information you would like to give out, I, I guess you're at uh, there. There is a website on here, uh, asinabka.com. I guess it is. Yes, Asanabka, it, it pertains to the the work at the Sacred Shaudia site, and it's primarily focused on that. Uh, and, yeah, we'd be very interested, if people are interested in Grandfather's work and vision, to send messages to our, uh, our leadership, you know, uh, uh, because we see this as an international center, and we do hope it will manifest soon. I also have an, a kind of old-fashioned Circle of All Nations uh, website, that uh, contains much historical information. And I'll say I'm going to school right now studying grandfather. Uh, I'm studying geography, and I'm looking to see his uh, foot- footprints on his map. I'm, I'm looking to map him on his land. And I'm studying the relevance of his discourse. The, um, and so it's really very uh, meaningful to me that 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 you folk have been interested in 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 him and and in connecting with me because it affirms that the, that the, the 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 legacy is still alive the discourse is still alive and that he still matters um so yeah well, congratulations on all the amazing work you guys are doing uh well, keeping it, it, keep, these, it keeps uh, us, it keeps us going yeah fascinating fascinating well, thank you so much for making an appearance. Hope to meet you in the flesh someday. Yeah, that would be a real pleasure. And maybe it'll be at Williams uh, uh, Center. But uh, yeah, we look forward to that. 